So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm so glad to be with y'all this morning. I, to my knowledge, experienced my first uh, COVID experience this week. Uh, came down Monday morning, or tested positive Monday morning, and felt pretty bad Sunday night, and then felt better throughout the week, but didn't, uh, nobody knew because I was just in my room all alone all week long. I don't do well with isolation. I'm very, very grateful for uh, Leslie Ann bringing my tray of food several times a day to the door. Been retreating quickly. Glad to be here with you. Um, to continue in this series we call Ordinary Heroes. This morning we're looking at verse 30. Hebrews 11, which is a short verse and references a very unique story that you are likely aware of. Maybe you're not, back from the book of Joshua. Verse 30, Hebrews 11 says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being marched around by the Israelites for seven days. Seven days. So Jericho was the gateway city into Canaan, the city the Israelites came to when they first entered, when they first came upon the promised land. The city was surrounded by, as the verse alludes to in Hebrews 11, huge walls so that no one could get in. And the walls, they were there for protection. They thwarted attacks. They were there to keep the Israelites out. Look at verse 1. In Joshua chapter 6, it says, Now Jericho was strongly fortified because of the Israelites, no one leaving or entering. So the Israelites have finally, after 40 years, entered the promised land, but there was more to do, right? More trust to maintain, more faith to display. How did these walls fall? Well, God actually gave very specific instructions. Look at verses 4 and 5. Joshua was instructed to have seven priests carry seven uh, rams, uh, horn trumpets in front of the ark. But on the seventh day, march around the city seven times while the priests blow their rams' horns. When there's a prolonged blast of the horn and you hear it sound, have all the troops give a mighty shout. Then the city wall will collapse and the troops will advance each man straight ahead. So Joshua did as God instructed. And and for the first six days, it was one time around the city. And then on the seventh day, they marched around the city seven times. The priests blew their trumpets and the army gave a loud shout. Look at verse 20 and 21, verses 20 and 21. So, So the troops shouted and the ram's horn sounded. And when they heard the blast of the ram's horns, the troops gave a great shout and the wall collapsed. The troops advanced into the city, each each man straight ahead, and they captured the city. Verse 21, they, they completely destroyed everything in the city with the sword. Every man and woman, both young and old, and every ox, sheep, and donkey. See, the book of Joshua, it explains how under Joshua's command, Canaan was conquered, the Canaanites slaughtered, 
and their lands were divided and redistributed amongst the tribes of Israel. Story, as we just read in verse 21, has extremely uncomfortable elements to it. And that's not ever something I want to gloss over with y'all, although the sermon doesn't go in that direction this morning. Um, I'm always available if you want to chat about that. Um, Call me anytime. As we've been going through Hebrews 11, looking at ordinary heroes, what we're doing is looking into snapshots in Israel's history that the writer gives us and and considering what it is uh, that it's telling us about who God is and and how we are to live in light of who God is, precisely by faith. The reference to Jericho, it draws our attention to this important story from Israel's history, this story that demonstrates for us the importance of being being ready to act in accordance with, with what God tells us to do. Deliverance in this story for the Israelites is a miracle. It's entirely orchestrated by God. This is really the only explanation for this because the the circumstances are not logical. The city, that is, as the text in Joshua 6 tells us, shut up, closed up, inside and out. And by God's power alone, its walls come tumbling down. Deliverance. God, God coming through. Now, it's worth mentioning that what is behind this chapter in Hebrews 11 is an effort by the writer of Hebrews to encourage, uh, who, who at this time, to encourage a group of people at this time, who, a relatively small group of Christians who are struggling. You see, they're experiencing ridicule. They're experiencing hostility. They are um, struggling with shame. They're a minority group. They're preaching resurrection. Many are labeling them as foolish, dangerous, carrying on with fantasy. Perhaps they would have remembered by remembering the story in Jericho. They would have remembered the community talking about their Lord Jesus's words that we find in Matthew chapter five in a section we call the Beatitudes. Look at verse 10 through 12 in Matthew five. It'll be on the screen. Blessed are those who are persecuted Because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You're blessed when they insult and and persecute you and, and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who who were before you. Church, I do feel like we need encouragement today. We 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 really do. Now, maybe we're not being chased through the streets for following Jesus. But I do believe we need encouragement. Now, consider something with me. I, I've, I think I've, I've messed up. I've read the Beatitudes a lot. I love the Sermon on the Mount and that section and what it has to offer us in encouragement uh, directly from Jesus' teaching. 
But I've read those verses in 10 through 12 and, and not ever having a particularly palpable experience about being chased through the streets because I believe in Jesus. I've never experienced that. I don't imagine you have either. But I've read those verses and I've assumed from them a, a license to um, build up walls between those who may not follow Jesus, who may have some animosity for those of us who do follow Jesus and myself. And it occurs to me that those verses actually don't encourage me to do that at all. I'm reading that into those verses. I'm assuming that because I'm being ridiculed, because I'm being persecuted, because someone might disagree with what I believe in, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that I can just discount them. Perhaps we get it from Luke 10 when the first missionaries went out upon Jesus's admonition and they were told if someone didn't receive the word from them, they should just shake the dust off their feet at them. Maybe we read into that this idea that we are supposed to go ahead and, and put that wall up between us and them based on them not buying into what we're selling, what we believe. But I don't think these verses give us the license to do that at all. In fact, I could just as easily, if I would have a more humble reading of this, a more kind reading of this, see the text telling me, yeah, blessed are you when you're persecuted. Blessed are you when people don't agree with you because of me. But love them anyway. Maybe even fight harder to show them love than we do those of, who agree with us, because after all, it's pretty easy to show those folks love. You see, the deceiver is Satan, and, and I imagine you're familiar with the deceiver. The deceiver likes to turn our attention to building those walls between one another. I was watching a BBC-produced television series one time. I, I like to watch most of what uh, I just love British TV shows. I don't know why. I don't know what that says about me. But I do. Maybe it's the accent. It was detailing some of the mid-90s violence in London, specifically regarding race relations. After a particularly volatile um, evening in protests, uh, the arrests were made among white protesters and black protesters. And the police made a huge error in judgment on this particular night and put two of the leaders, really the two leaders from both groups, in the same cell. And they ended up fighting one another viciously, and the black man was killed. And his mother was devastated, and her lawyer assumed she would want to seek justice by charging the man who killed her, her son, but she said she did not want to go after him. She did not care about him and his idiot rage, as she put it. She instead wanted to hold accountable those who were responsible for putting them in the cell together. And I found this interesting. And whether or not you agree with the mother's reasoning and, and desire on her part is not my point as much as it is to call out that she desired to hold accountable the ones who, as she saw it, created the environment for her son to be killed. The woman's son had broken no laws. He had simply been brought in for protesting and put in the same cell as the person he was protesting against. So the mother from our story desired to hold accountable the ones who created the environment for her son to be killed. And in that same vein, I ask you, church, to consider 
that perhaps we are to hold the deceiver accountable. For that is who is responsible for the present state of affairs we find ourselves in in the world. The deceiver is the liar who is desiring for you to do what is in essence the opposite of faith. Believing the deceiver's lies, building up walls between us, thick, thick walls between us. And so church, I ask you this morning if we are willing to look a bit closer, to look a bit deeper at the root of where these walls originate from. We've got a lot of weeds in our yard these days and we pull weeds. Our kids love it, love doing that. And I've it's a whole lot more satisfying when you get to the root of that weed, isn't it? Sometimes it's hard. But when you can get in there and pull it completely out of the earth and something like an onion pulls out, you know, toss it aside, feels good. You know, we'll often say as, as Christians, maybe you've heard this, hate the sin, but, but still love the sinner. And I would encourage us to also say, hate the deceiver, love one another. Because loving one another is so integral to the life of a Christian. Love is precisely how walls come down. Or, or maybe how we realize, maybe better put, how we realize that the walls have come down in Christ Jesus. We'll get back to that. Our, our relationships, y'all, are the greatest gift we have been given and we put up walls between one another when we believe the deceiver's lies. To, to trust in the Lord is to desire for God to fight your battles, to fend off the deceiver. And, and faith is the understanding with assurance and conviction that, that ultimately God wins. But what does it look like when we, well, what does it look like when we slip up in our faith? When we fail to remember this, look at Galatians 5, 19 through 21. It'll be on the screen. This is Paul writing to his friends and his Galatian friends. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, uh, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, anything similar. I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before that, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, like in that not inheriting the kingdom of God, think about that, to not entering Jericho, to not experiencing the walls being torn down, to not experience the freedom that comes with being able to move forward in life. These actions that Paul illustrates here, they build up walls. Often our moral failures are, they're, they're much more of a failure of imagination than a deficit of good in, intention and, and goodwill. We resort to violence all too often in the world because we've been able to, we've been unable, unable to figure out a better way of dealing with conflict. We resort to sexual sin because we've, we've failed to figure out a more satisfying, holy way to channel our desires for intimacy that end up manifesting themselves weakly as lust. We resort to idolatry because we get lazy, we get, we get sloppy, we lose our faith and we bow down to trinket gods that, that might be in our midst, but they're powerless. All the while, God never ceases to be in control. We resort to racism because our imagination is too limited to imagine the world actually having enough resources for us all to share. 
You see, the most important walls to come down are those that are inside of us. They're the walls of prejudice and selfishness and impurity and jealousy and anger, etc. They're all these things that Paul likes to mention. I really struggled this week being all by myself. I don't do well, isolated. Or I at least don't like it as much. And I finally got to go out and I was at a, a place where it was a restaurant. I was going in to just pick up food and I'm, I'm yeah, I'm trying to couldn't figure out how to preach with this mask on. So I took it off, but I'm wearing it for the five days that were recommended to wear it. And I was wearing it that day, like I was supposed to do. And I was walking into this restaurant and this gentleman was walking out and he looked at me and I was excited. I was to talk to somebody. This is great. And he said, he said, those aren't allowed in there. And I, I thought maybe he was telling the truth. I didn't know. I mean, it was a new rule. I'm not allowed to wear my mask into the into the place. And I, but man, he was not kidding. He was angry. And I said, sir, what, what do you, I said, who said, what do you mean? I didn't know what to say. I was like, maybe I need to take this off. Am I going to get tackled when I walk in wearing my mask? And he said, yeah, yeah. I said, well, who, who said, and he said, Joe Biden. At that point, I could sense his, his sarcasm and his anger. And I got to tell you, I got angry too. I didn't fight him. I think he might have wanted to. He was a pretty big old boy. I don't know that I should have. I'm scrappy though. And I wish I had a dollar for every time somebody said to me, let's go Brandon over the last few months. <laughs> and um, I'm embarrassed to think how often that might have been somebody who follows Jesus that said that. It's actually on somebody's porch just down the street. I see it every time I drive to church. just a mask. I don't particularly like wearing it. Fogs my glasses up. And I, I don't know what that gentleman at that restaurant had going on in his week or in his last three years, two years, however long it's been that we've been in this mess. But there was a big old wall there between him and me and I had never met him before. We got to quit this mess. What are we doing? You're the best thing each other has. Nothing's changed since 2020 in that regard. It's actually become more important. We can't live with these walls. Jesus is on the other side of them if we, if we erect them. And nobody will be able to see him in our lives. You see, God fought for Israel and gave them victory against great odds in this story. And indeed, the walls came down. 
And when you trust God, when we trust God, it allows for us to live into the freedom that we've been made to live into. And walls in our lives, they come tumbling down. So it could be today that you're feeling like there are walls in your lives. I imagine you might be. Areas where you you just can't see a way forward. Are you exhausted? Maybe because of COVID or not, I'm tired. Are you perhaps frustrated with your work? Is there a particular relationship in your life that's causing you a great deal of stress? You know, some of you may be dealing with addiction. That is so serious. You know, if we are in Christ, we're in recovery. Now, what we are recovering from in each of our individual lives is different, but it it varies. But each of us is broken. Each of us is being put back together by the work of Christ in the world. In us and in the world. But that's the thing. We're, we're not yet put back together, so we're still vulnerable. So, so someone here today, as we mentioned in the prayer time, you may not yet be following and being formed by Jesus. Being formed by Jesus. You need to understand that in giving your life to Christ, which I pray that you will, you don't immediately become whole. You, you do become new. But the process of being made whole is a lifelong endeavor. And along the way, we do stumble. We're still attacked by the wiles of the the deceiver. God is calling us in this text to understand while the odds may seem like they're stacked against us, new creation is invading our present reality. God is at work in this situation. And when this happens, the impossible becomes possible. So for those of you who are exhausted, Jesus says, come to him. Weariness is no match for him. He will give you rest. For those of you unsatisfied with your work, know that you were made to do meaningful work. And that is available to you either in the work that you are doing now or it is somewhere else. And for those of you struggling in a relationship, God is the God of forgiveness in all things, regardless of who is at fault. Forgiving does not mean forget getting, but in our remembering, we must not hold a grudge. Holding a grudge is never, ever the way of the follower of Christ. And I'm not suggesting this is easy at all. I'm suggesting that God shows us as the walls of Jericho come tumbling down, that God is in the business of giving victory in the face of great great odds. So here we are, church, the body of Christ in the world. And our context includes us living in this incomplete, oftentimes broken place. And we know what we have faith in, precisely what God is going to do, what God is already doing. In many ways, we are reaching for what can't yet be fully grasped. Let me remind you of what I told you last week, this pithy and important thing that N.T. Wright once wrote. Like all the others in chapter 11, Moses, Joshua, and our story today, they practice a faith that looks to the future and knows that God has planned something far better than anything we could accomplish for ourselves. When walls come down inside of us, we are free to understand who God has made us to be. When walls become, and then walls begin to come down in our communities, 
God can do this in us and through us. May it be so, church. Let's pray.